0: Well, good morning again. I had one more announcement that Greg just reminded me as I was walking up here. The couple's dinner, whenever we have the couple's dinner, we like to have pictures of the couples like when they were young or or just couples. Is that how we do it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, you got that? Okay, she may steal your pictures off of Facebook. Okay, do that. And just send. There you go. That's how it works. And so, but it's it's great fun when we get here and we can see all the pictures of the couples up there. It's it's, it's awesome. So I wanted to get that out to you. We are in First Peter chapter five this morning. We're going to be looking at the first four verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the guys will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. First Peter chapter five, verses one through four today. I apologize for the temperature in the building. I, I kind of, um, heard first service was really, really cold and it's just really hard to, I mean, that's the only intake or output of the air right there in the church. And so it's, if you sit right there, you're going to get the heat. If you sit right next to where James is at, you're going to get the cool air being sucked in because that's the intake right there. And so, um, we try and get it somewhere in there. And so I apologize just. Bear with us. It. Sometimes it's too hot, sometimes it's too cold. It's just it's, it's just the way of this old building. But anyway, First Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Tell them my study this morning is How to Be a Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Because we know no matter where we're at in your word, your Holy Spirit has something to teach all of us this morning. Even though we may be looking at the the, the role of a pastor, of a good shepherd, Lord, we know that you have something for all of us today. And so, Lord, help us to be in tune to your spirit this morning, to be alert to what you have to say to us today. We ask your blessing upon our time together we pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, but they're not saved yet, Lord, we pray that they would come to know you today as the Lord and as their Savior. We ask your blessing upon our time together, Lord. We ask your blessing upon our children that are downstairs as the teachers teach them, Lord. Bless them and speak to their hearts as well. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen well today's the day I talk about it every Super Bowl Sunday. Today is a Super Bowl Sunday, and perhaps you guys are going i don't really care I don't like the Super Bowl don't like nFL don't like anything about it. I can see where you're coming from, you know, but I, I thought I'd bring it up anyway, just for my point here. two teams together, the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles and you look at their mascots, kind of stretched out a little bit there but 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 uh you know you got. You know, Pat the Patriot, and and I don't know what's his name, Eagle the Eagle. But if you've ever noticed that you never see a sheep as a mascot, doesn't strike much fear in the opponent, does it? You know, you never hear the Denver Sheep. No, it's it's the Broncos, right? Chicago Sheep. No, it's a Chicago Bears. And we're talking strong animals, not sheep. I did find this picture, though. St. Louis lambs. Which could be why they moved back to L.A. I don't know. I mean, you never see beware of lamb sign, do you? No, because they're docile creatures. They're timid creatures. Not only are they timid, but they require great care. The fact is, they require a shepherd. Well, here, Peter is exhorting the elders in the church. They're in Galatia, Capodicea, Asia, Bithynia, and verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God. He's been talking to the people. He's been talking to them about, you know, suffering and getting through suffering. Now he focuses on the pastors in those churches. And he says, shepherd the flock of God. Now, when we talk about shepherding, or when Peter writes to us about shepherding, I think we're at a loss to really understand what that means, since I doubt there's a single shepherd here in the church this morning. Plenty of sheep, at least that's the way the Bible describes us. But did you know that the sheep is the the only animal in the world that can be totally lost when it's only a few miles away from home? They have no instinct to get back to where they came from. Even a cat that you're trying to get rid of, you drop off several neighborhoods away, finally it'll find its way home. I'm not saying I've done that. I'm just saying that they'll do that. But a sheep can't. Sheep have no ability to find their way back. Has no sense of direction whatsoever. And it will inevitably walk around in circles around and around and continue to get confused and unrest even to the point of panic. When they go astray, they get lost and they become helpless and unable to find food or water. The fact is that over one billion sheep in the world, they would all starve to death or die of thirst if it weren't for the tens of thousands of shepherds who make sure they're protected and and kept in their pasture. They lead them to the place where they can eat and lead them to the place where they can find water, where they can find rest. In fact, one professor of philosophy tongue-in-cheek said this, the existence of sheep as evidence against the theory of evolution, there's no way sheep could have survived that process. You know, survival of the fittest. They're not. They require constant oversight, constant leading, constant rescue, constant cleaning. You know, sheep, believe it or not, they're they're dirty creatures. Everything sticks to them. If they don't have constant care, they will die. Now think about this. When Jesus saw the disoriented, the confused, the spiritually hungry, lost crowd. He said of them in Matthew 9.36, Nine thirty six. they are like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, when he said that, they all understood what he was talking about because they understood the role of a shepherd and they understood the helplessness and, and the, the lostness of sheep. Without a shepherd, they would be hopeless and helpless and lost. And when you go through the Scripture, you often notice that the figure of a shepherd is one of the most heartwarming pictures of the relationship that God has with his people. It's a picture of care. It's a picture of diligence. Always watching out for us as sheep. The Lord has seen many places as a shepherd in the Bible. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the people of his hand. I like Isaiah 40, 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now, God, in His great wisdom, has raised up under shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers to oversee His church. And Peter's going to talk about that leadership in these first four verses. Now, let me say that even if you're not in leadership in the church, the section of Scripture can still apply to us as parents. You are the pastor in your family. If you're a single parent, you're responsible to be the spiritual leader in your home. And so these truths apply as well as there are principles for all of us to glean from as we look at this section of Scripture. But if you're taking notes, we're going to point out three things that Peter shows us uh, about this pastor or spiritual leader to look at. Number one, the role. Number two, the responsibilities. And number three, the reward of a good shepherd. Let's look at number one, the role. Peter gives us some titles. First and foremost, in verses 1 and 2, we read the word elder. We read the word shepherd. We read the word overseer. Words that are used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament to describe that of the role of a pastor. See, the title of an elder simply means a man who is mature in the Lord, not necessarily up there in age, but someone who's not a novice, someone who's walked with the Lord for some time and has a considerable experience in immaturity. The same thing is true for the word overseer. His or her role is simply having the responsibility to oversee a group of people. Someone who ministers to the needs of others. They make sure the body is being taken care of and to watch out for the wolves that they may uh, come in and just kill and destroy. And the third term is that of a shepherd. His role is to feed and to tend the sheep. Now Jesus said to Peter in John's Gospel, chapter 21, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So you have an elder who is a man mature in the Lord, stable, an overseer, someone who makes sure that the ministry aspect of the body is taken care of, then the shepherd, you know, the method. You get the, 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 the man, the ministry, and the method. Now, let me say the same thing can be applied in the home. You as a, as a dad, man, you're the man. You're the man that has the ministry of overseeing the care of your family. To protect and care for your family, it's your responsibility to feed the sheep in your family. To be that under shepherd of Jesus Christ leading in your, in your family the way God has called you to lead. Mom, you're the overseer of the the finer points in your family. You know, man, you gotta make sure that food's on the table and you gotta make sure, man, things are done and and someone to make sure everything runs smoothly. And as our good shepherd is Jesus Christ leading and guiding us through His Word and by His Holy Spirit. Now notice that, though, that Peter was a pastor teacher. He was an evangelist, but he also considered himself to be an elder, a fellow elder. Look at verse 1. He says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Notice Peter didn't say, To the elders that are among you, I exhort, I who am Peter, the rock. Little eyebrow maybe went up a little bit. The rock, you know. Peter, the first pope. It doesn't say that, you know. Peter, no, he doesn't. He calls himself a fellow elder. He said, I'm one of you. That's what he says. I may have had a little more history with Jesus than you have. I did witness his suffering, he says. He says, I did witness the glory of him on the mountain. Remember when Jesus saw Moses, Peter saw Moses, Elijah, and all together in glory? Peter might have said, of course I should have closed my mouth. Of course I shouldn't have said anything, but I said because they didn't know what to say. Well, let's build three tabernacles. One for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah. And I shouldn't have said that, you know, but I was learning, you know. But, 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 man, I'm just telling you, here's what it takes to be a good elder. I'm just, just learning things. I'm still learning. See, Peter was just like the rest of us. He was not perfect by any means. In fact, even after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul had to rebuke Peter for his bias. Peter would eat with the Gentiles, and then when the Jews showed up, he would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. And and Paul says, hey, Peter, man, you can't do this. Now, there's hope in Peter because as Peter yielded to Christ and was willing to learn all that God had for him, he matured and grew so that he could pass along now these truths to us today. Now, because we are in this section of Scripture, because Peter is talking about the role of the pastor at our first point, the overseer, the elder, the shepherd, I want to talk a little bit about those that may be called to the ministry. How do you know if God is calling you to the ministry? I want to lay out three things that help determine whether or not this is from the Lord. The first one is he has a desire. It's on his heart. Paul would write in 1 Timothy 3.1, This is a faithful saying, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. In other words, the, the, the desire will be there. Now I would say back in Peter and Paul's day, it was a little more difficult to find those that would have that desire, seeing how that it was not one of the top ten fields to go into. Why is that? Well, because pastors were the biggest targets for persecution. They were the first ones killed. Who wants to be a pastor? You get to go on the front lines. Uh, I don't know about that. But Peter makes a comparison and how hard it can be, you know, when he says in verse one a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter had witnessed the sufferings of Christ, what Jesus went through. He experienced the glory of Jesus rising from the dead, the risen Lord. And Jesus told Peter, you're following right behind me. You're going to experience the same things. And Peter would suffer persecution, imprisonment, and ultimately martyrdom. So suffering was not an abstract idea to him. It was a daily existence and an earthly destiny. And we've already covered a lot of suffering already. But my point is that Peter was someone qualified to exhort leaders about personal suffering. Yet he wouldn't talk about suffering without immediately mentioning the glory that will be revealed. All the suffering that we you know, experience in this present time cannot be compared with future glory. See, suffering and glory go hand in hand. Jesus lived it as a leader, so will you and I. But, but it's a perspective your leaders must hold in their hearts. If you're going to get into ministry, it may bring persecution because being a pastor in Peter's day meant that. It meant sacrifice. It meant persecution. Listen, it's important even today that a man knows what he's getting himself into if he desires to be an elder, an overseer, because an elder is a guy who is seasoned. He's been around in ministry a long time and understands the sacrifice and commitment that it takes, as well as the warfare that comes along with the job. So there needs to be that desire, a burden to be more involved in serving God's people. if there's a true call to the ministry ministry, then it must be an irresistible, overwhelming craving and desire for telling others about God and what God has done in their own lives. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote in his book, "Lectures to My Students." He writes this: "Do not enter the ministry if you can help it. If any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer our doctor, our lawyer, our senator, our king, and the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. (laughs) He is not the man in whom dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness, for a man so filled with God would utterly weary of any pursuit but that for which his inmost soul pants. He goes on, If on the other hand you can say that for all the wealth of both the Indies, you could not and dare not espouse any other calling so as to be put aside from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then depend upon it. If other things be equally satisfactory, you have the signs of the apostleship. We must feel that woe is unto us if we preach not the gospel. The word of God must be unto us as a fire in our bones. Otherwise, if we undertake the ministry, we shall be unhappy in it, shall be unable to bear the self denials incident to it, and shall be of little service to those among whom we minister. He lays it out there very well. See, begins with a desire, a burden to be more involved in serving God's people, and it really is, I can't do anything else but, is what, uh, uh Spurgeon is telling us here. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that desire. In other words, there's going to be fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, in your life, in that person's life. It doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean the characteristics of the, of the Lord will be evident. I mean, the guy, he's not going to, put it this way, the guy that God calls the ministry is not going to be a jerk, okay? And patient with people, someone that people can't trust. It's like the, the thing I heard the pastor said, he said, I love pastoring, I just don't like people. Okay, you know, it's like you, you know, it's like saying, I love being a dad, I just can't stand my kids. It doesn't work out that way. Because the fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in that person's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. It should be there for every believer in Jesus Christ. Finally, the third evidence that God has called you to be a pastor is the sheep will recognize it. Jesus said in John ten three that if the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and, and leads them out, and he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. In the same way an under-shepherd, a pastor, one that cares for the feeding of the sheep and for the church, and the sign of a real shepherd is that you'll see them continually pointing to Jesus Christ as their shepherd, and in turn the people will hear the Lord's voice through that person because they hear Jesus' voice through him. It'll be evident in that person's life. It'll be evident that there's a calling on that person's life. So point number one, the role of the pastor, or actually the call, is that he has a desire on his heart Number two, he has, the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that desire. And number three, the sheep will recognize it. Now this brings us to point number two in our notes, the responsibilities. Verses 2 and 3, Peter gives us the responsibilities of a shepherd or a pastor or an overseer or an elder. Five of them if you're taking notes. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Number one, Peter says, if you're going to be an elder or pastor, your responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. But notice whose flock they're to be watching. It's God's flock. It's God's church. It's God's sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. You know, it's not my church, it's not my flock, it's, it's God's church, God's flock. It's pastors, God places men as stewards over his church, over his flock, but the pastor's job is to remember who he works for. That's why in James James tells us in his letter, James 3, one My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. See, when it comes to the flock of God, we have to remember who the owner is, whose property we are on, and who we have to answer to. And we're accountable to them. That means that the shepherd is going to communicate well with the owner. The owner of the sheep. In other words, the, the, the shepherd, uh, under-shepherd is going to be a man of prayer. Jesus was a perfect example of that. Always spending time in prayer with the Father. I think of when Satan decided to sift Peter's wheat. Jesus told him, Peter, Satan is sought to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you going to be a praying man. E.M. Bounds once wrote, the men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. It's also been said prayer is one half of a man's ministry and prayer is what gives the other half its power and success. See, a leader will find the time to spend time in prayer with God and to seek Him and to communicate what he's learned from God to the people of God as that He placed over, over them. To know what God wants to do with the body of believers, what direction, what focus, seeking the Lord. Lord, should we do more in mission? Should we do more in this evangelical outreach? What should we do? What direction should we go? Praying together with the Lord. Listen, the same thing is true for you in your home as a parent. We need to be in touch with our our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Seek him for for leading and guiding directions we should go. What's best for our family? Praying for direction, praying for protection, praying for discernment. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and consistent in God's word so that we can be used by God. And shaping the lives of her children to follow Jesus Christ. But notice also what Peter says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That means that I'm not called, you know, or, or you either to shepherd the church down the street. Any more than some pastor from another church is called to shepherd this flock here. It'd be like me saying, well, I really feel called to tell your kids what they should or shouldn't be doing. It's my ministry to, to, to tell your kids what they should be doing in your family. No way. It's not your job. You take care of your own children, and I'll take care of mine. Now, obviously that doesn't mean that there can't be accountability with other pastors to share and to strengthen both churches, but God lifts up certain people to oversee each flock, and, and, and I'm thankful for the God, for the, the men that God has raised up in other churches. There's other churches that, you know, I couldn't do it. You know, a, a congregation or one church and, and, and laws and, and these business meetings, all these, it's not who I am. You know, but God has raised up people to, to lead a church like that. Now, in the same way, you know, uh, with, with parents, there can be that accountability. And, and, and obviously, it doesn't mean as a parent you can't come alongside another parent to help them and encourage them. But the bottom line is the responsibility of overseeing the church is the pastor and leadership. And in the home, it's you as a parent, as you look to Jesus Christ and not to the neighbor up the street. So number one, the first responsibility for the pastor is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Number two, shepherding means feeding the sheep. It means feeding the sheep. I mean, that's what shepherds do, right? They feed the sheep. And, and that's the most important job of the pastor, to make sure the sheep are well fed. Again, you remember Jesus talking to Peter after the resurrection. Do you love me? And what did, what Jesus, uh, Peter said, yes, I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's what, what shepherds do. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. He leads me into green pastures. My shepherd provides food for me. It's one of the main tasks of a pastor. It's been said that a pastor's job is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. I like that. Listen, I've said many, many times, and you've heard me say it. My goal as a pastor is not to have the biggest church in Springfield, but to have, have the best fed sheep in all of the Ozarks. That's why we put so much strong emphasis on what we do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, teaching of God's Word to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Genesis To Revelation. Well, Paul didn't go to Revelation, it wasn't written yet, but 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 my point being for us Genesis to Revelation. And I have to tell you, I've been here 19 years. I have three more books in the Old Testament than I can tell than I can say. I've not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We'll get to those. See, that means not only the parts that we enjoy, but the difficult passages as well. Listen, I don't really necessarily like talking about the role of a pastor. Not my favorite subject, you know, but, but that's a part of equipping the saints. And that's where we happen to be in our verses this morning in God's Word. So we're not going to skip over it. We're going to dig into it. And there are times when I'm reading ahead in God's Word and I see a difficult point, uh, part of Scripture and we go, oh man, this isn't going to be fun. But we have to talk about it because it's in God's Word. That's a pastor's responsibility to feed the flock, to prepare the meal uh, of God's Word and present it to the sheep. You know, I look at what my wife goes through when she prepares a meal for us. I am blessed. I mean, I live w- with a gourmet cook. I mean, she makes me these meals and, you know, I, I get this chicken and it's got this lemon peel cut and it's laid on top of it and it's got a little garnish on the side. It's like, what, am I in a restaurant? This is amazing. And it's like, here it is. But, but she puts the time into it and she presents it and it's just, just, it's just awesome. Listen, in the same way, that's the job of a pastor. To prepare that meal, to, 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 present it to the sheep. And sadly, many pastors from many pulpits are just preparing fast food. You know, the French fries of, of fun subjects. You know, here's a few French fries for you. You know, here's some, some custard of, of, God's love. And, and oh, isn't this great? You know, it's just fast food, fast food. Hey, you know, where's the meat? Where's the nourishment? Listen, a pastor worth listening to it's one who has thought through the truth in the presence of the Holy Spirit and taken the time to to, to prepare a good, well-balanced meal. Nothing wrong with dessert. Nothing wrong with french fries. And, and you know, sometimes. But when I get to the meat of the word, the steak, you know, oh, it's so good. That's why the words of, of Paul to Timothy were these: be diligent to present yourself approved to God a work who does not need be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Be be diligent, be prepared, study hard, and then teach the word, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. What a, the greatest need from pulpits today in America? That's why why Paul went on to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. That's the main job of the pastor. And if a pastor is not doing that, that he's not fulfilling the calling that God has placed on his life as being a pastor and he should not be in the pulpit. I read a story about a Native American man, an older man who went to church one Sunday and heard his preacher. It was a Sunday when the preacher really didn't study and prepare for the message. So he tried to cover up his lack of preparation by being a little more, you know, the, uh, you know, theatric and, and pounding the, the pulpit and really speaking loudly and walking back and forth and raising his hands and basically putting on a pep rally. In fact, he began, you know, frothing and spitting and just moving around and, and some people actually that well, he's preaching up a storm. And that's what they said. Oh, he preached up a storm. And they asked the old Native American gentleman afterwards, What did you think of the sermon? He says, I have six words. High wind, big thunder, no rain. High wind, big thunder, no rain. Where's the nourishment? Boy, he preached up a storm, but where's the rain? That's why God, speaking through Ezekiel the prophet, said this in Ezekiel 34, 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Absolutely, that's what they should be doing. That's what shepherding does. Shepherding means feeding the flock. This brings us to the third responsibility of a shepherd. Number one, they recognize it's God's sheep. Number two, they're to feed the sheep. And number three, they're to protect the sheep. So when Peter said in verse 2 that a shepherd is going to serve as an overseer, an overseer is someone who's aware of what's going on around them. And let me say this. If you're an overseer, a pastor, an elder, in order to protect and serve, you have to be around. You have to be there. Now this applies as a dad. You as a dad, as a pastor of your home, in order to protect your kids, you got to know what's going on in their lives. You gotta be around, you gotta be involved in their lives. Ask questions, talk to them. See, you really can't be in leadership overseeing the care of people if you're not around people, if you're not even here at church. Can't be watching out for the sheep if you're not around the sheep. In like that's how we look for leadership here at the church. Servant leadership. Okay. Are they involved in the church? Are they committed to ministry? Are they here on Wednesday night? Are they here on Sunday morning, Tuesday night? Are they involved in the men's study? Are they involved in the women's study? Are, you, know, you can see that commitment. See, God using them. But I want to point out here that this word for overseer has the idea of protection. A protection. Protecting the sheep. How do we protect in our day and age? The same way Paul would. Watching and warning watching what's going on, and warning the flock. Paul, in the book of Acts chapter 20, is speaking to the elders there in Ephesus, and he said this in verse 28 through 31, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He's purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, Also from among yourselves men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in and try to infiltrate you and you need to do two things. You need to watch and you need to warn. Watch out for the wolves that seek to come in from the outside and devour the flock and warn the flock on the inside of what's happening on the outside. Warn that they may come in and seek to devour the flock. How do they do that? Well, we'll read about it when we get to 2 Peter chapter 2. But let me give you just a a glimpse. We're told in 2 Peter 2, verse 1 and 2, that there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So so uh, Peter will tell us to, to to warn, he's warning the flock that they're gonna bring in destructive heresies. How is that done today? We certainly see it. It's through the through the danger of tolerance. Everything is about tolerance. Well we've got to tolerate this and, and we have to be accepting it's all about God's love, you know. And it begins really with the church not preaching against sin, not preaching God's word. And it ends with all sorts of acceptance to all kinds of perverted lifestyles and destructive heresies. I mean, that's what we just read in, in Paul, to, in the book of Acts chapter 20. He says that among yourselves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He's warning of the danger of these false teachers coming into the church, start teaching perverse things, things that, oh, you just need to accept this lifestyle or accept that and accept this and they distort and they misinterpret scripture. We'll really dig into this when we get into chapter 2, uh, I mean 2nd Peter rather. But my point is Paul is saying is is a, you know, a good warning sign that the person is teaching false doctrine and heresy is that they're going to come in speaking perverse things. But he also says they're going to be seeking to draw people to themselves, looking to to get a crowd to follow after themselves. Listen, if you're ever in, in a setting where somebody's teaching and you start to hear like, well, I have discovered the deeper truth of God. Or God has given me this deeper meaning of this verse. Be careful. Be on guard. Again, another glimpse in the 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 20, knowing this verse that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you can't have someone say, God has given me alone the true meaning of this verse. There's no private interpretation. God gives the same understanding to all of us through his word. Another warning to be aware of within the church is when you see a group or church more excited about who is teaching than they are about Jesus. If the focus is more on on who the pastor is and not Jesus Christ, then there's trouble. Oh, he's such a a wonderful, wonderful, great speaker. Now, that's okay if he's pointing people to Jesus Christ. and If he's always talking about Jesus Christ and, and then pointing people to the Lord. But if he's pointing to himself. And if all you hear him say, well, well, I did this and and my ministry did that and, and I and me, 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 then watch out and warn. It should be him, him, him. It should be all about Jesus Christ. Listen, we know that there are wolves and there are shepherds out there and we need to recognize the difference. A good way to tell if someone is a wolf or not is really quite simple. Wolves eat sheep. There you have it. They feed on them and they seek to get all that they can from them. Where shepherds seek to what they can give to the sheep. How they can bless the sheep. As a sheep of the Lord, that, that, that's a life that, 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 that they want to do. But wolves are always out what they can get. What they can get. You know, what his is, interests are. Listen, this isn't just for pastors and sheep. We can apply this for all, of, all you single ladies out there. You might be considering a certain man for the future husband. Where is his interest? What is he talking about all the time? Is he interested in serving you? Is he interested in in blessing you? Seeing how he can take care of you? Is he always talking about the Lord Jesus and, and what he's doing in his life? Or is he only interested in himself? Well, I did this and I that and only interested in what he can get from you. I find it interesting in all the old cartoons they portray men as wolves. There's a reason for that. So single ladies, be careful. It hasn't changed over the years. So shepherds protect, they oversee, watch, and warn of the wolves. Number four. Shepherds serve willingly. Look at verse 2 again. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Many churches compel men to serve. But as a result, it's a grudging, burdensome, joyless service. Oh, you know, man, man, we, we, need to, we need to do this. We need to, all right, yeah, I guess I'm going to do All right, I'll, I'll do it. And it's not really a calling. You know, it's, it's, well, maybe it's, it's guilt, just, re, you know, responding to guilt. Let me say leadership is a calling. It's not a compulsion. In other words, your motivation should not stem from someone relentlessly badgering you to step up and serve and get involved in ministry, but from that internal call of God. Because when, in, when there is that calling, there's that willingness to serve the Lord that is carried out with joy and gladness. You know, the Lord will lay in your heart, man, Man, they're talking about a need in the children's ministry and the Lord just keeps reminding me over and over again, man, that might be something I'd like to do. And, and, and man, it's really laid on my heart, these kids, and oh, I'd, I'd love to bless these kids and, and just have a love for these kids. And Then get involved, obey the Lord. But don't do it because I say, well, we really need someone in the ministry, for the children's ministry, man. You know, the kids are going to suffer if we don't have it. I'm not going to do that something from, from the Lord. Notice also, do it willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Boy, don't we see that. Dishonest gain. We see that. Man, the Lord knows there are way too many so-called ministers who are out there for dishonest gain, seeking to rip people off. Oh, we're getting a ministry. There's some money in that, isn't there? Well, it depends where you get to. I mean, I mean, if you're in a name of a claimant, grab it and grab it, guys, and then you can probably make some money in that. I mean, that's what they do. They rip people off financially. Just send in your more money this week and God will bless you a hundredfold. Years ago, there was a one of those prosperity doctrine pastor's wife. She made this appeal on TV. These were her words. Some of you older little precious ones had that little bit of grocery money set aside. sure tonight the blessing of God on your family by giving it to God. Speak it, say it. God, this is for blessings on my family. I love that. I bet you love that every last penny that you got. See, we've talked about this before, and and, and I, I know I beat a dead horse when I when I talk about this. But 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 man, there are wolves out there. TV evangelists that that, that close to billionaire status right now that have fleeced the flock of God. Let me say, they didn't, I don't think they started out that way, you know. But but covetousness set in. And they began to justify the covetousness and they began to rationalize and and twist the scriptures and somehow try to convince themselves by convincing people to give them to their grocery money away is somehow the will of God. Now let me say this, that a pastor, it's not saying that a pastor should not be paid. The Bible says that that a worker is worthy of his wages. And, And I have, you know, I have my board that they decide how much, you know, the church can pay me and they base off of our income here in Springfield and all based off a bunch of things and when they they decide my income, I walk away. I'm not even in the room. And they come back and say, well this is what we decided that you what we can pay you and 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 that's what we go with. It's after much prayer, much direction seeking the Lord. But the point Peter's making is that money is not to be the motive for serving the Lord in the ministry. Years ago I met a, a pastor from a particular denomination who's just Starting out at a new church about the same time I started out. And he says, well, if they didn't pay me X amount of dollars, then I wasn't going to come and serve here. I confess, I I kind of smugly said, well, for most pastors at Calvary Chapels, they're working two jobs just to be able to have the the blessing of serving and not be a burden on the people. You know, it was kind of my jab at him. And I repented afterward. but... (laughs) Because it's not about the money, it's about the calling. So the responsibility of the pastor, shepherd, is to recognize it's God's sheep. Number two, feed the sheep. Number three, protect the sheep. Number four, serve willingly. And finally, number five, a shepherd should lead by example. Look at verse three. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know, I I know I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. As a pastor... I am not Reverend Wright, Most Holy Bishop, Father Tom, garbage. Listen, I'm a sheep. Just like you, we're all sheep. You know, one beggar telling other beggars where to find food. I like what Pastor John quotes, uh, put, says on this quote, John portion. He says, why am I up front? Well, if the church were likened to a hospital, I am up front simply because I've been a patient a little longer than most of you in the hospital of God's grace and goodness. So I know where the cafeteria is and where the restrooms are. I know which orderlies to watch out for and which doctors have big needles. (laughs) I like that. So we're all sheep so that no one in the body of Christ can lord over anyone else. Oh, you know, come on, I'm the Lord. No. Rather, we're called to be an example. And here's how we can bring all this together and apply this to all of us this morning in parenting, in pastoring, or in anything else concerning working with people. The bottom line is we all need to be an example. Peter says, be an example to the flock, whether it's in raising my children, whether it's in serving at Calvary Chapel. I'm not to lord over people, but I'm called to lead by example because I'm being led by the example of Jesus. We follow his example and we lead by that example. That's how you can be among people and oversee them as well. There's a big difference between, let me say, dictatorship and leadership. Dictatorship says, go. Leadership says, let's go. It's been said that a real leader will lead where people don't want to go, but they will be happy when they get there. I like that one. So whether parenting or pastoring, the true leader is involved in whatever he's teaching or helping others to do. You know, Paul told young Timothy to be an example to the believers. Again, Jesus is our example. He went to the cross for us. He died for you. He died for me. He could have said at any time, no. Jesus had a free will. Jesus could have stopped in his mission and said, no, I'm not going to do it. But he chose to obey the Father. He chose to deny himself, go to the cross and die for you and die for me. Should we not do that for one another as we serve one another? deny ourselves, seek to serve the Lord fully, wholeheartedly, not wavering not wavering from the truth, but looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith as an example. And this brings us to our final point. We've seen the role, overseers, shepherds, elders, anyone who leads, including leading your own family. We've seen the responsibility, recognize, feed, protect, serve, and lead. Finally, as we close and enter into the time of communion, point number three, the reward. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I love this. One of the the most beautiful titles of all the scripture given to Jesus, the chief shepherd. He's the best shepherd. He's the the chief shepherd. He's the top. We are under shepherds feeding the flock that he's he's entrusted to us. Now, if you remember, Peter up until this point, has been encouraging a a suffering group of people, right? We've been looking at that for the last few weeks. And one of the ways he's been encouraging them is he's been saying, hold on, it's tough now, but Jesus is going to come back. And you're going to get a reward. The best is yet to come. Look towards the future. Look toward the, the goal of the glory of God. Well, now he's saying the same thing to the pastors, to the overseers, to the leaders. He says, listen, if you're an example... If you're feeding the people and caring for them, the day is coming when all those things that, that that are going unnoticed will be greatly rewarded. You're going to receive that crown of glory that does not fade away. Now let me say this about crowns. The crowns of which Peter is speaking of are not crowns just to parade around in when we get to heaven and go, look at my crown. You know, oh, well, you got a crown, look at my crown. No. Those crowns we're going to cast at the feet of Jesus and adoration, and gratitude for all He's done for us. We're just saying, Lord. I mean, think about this. God saves you. He calls you into the ministry. He empowers you to do the work of the ministry. And then He rewards you for doing that which He's empowered and and done in your life in the first place. I mean, it's a win-win situation. So as we do that, he, he, He crowns us. And then the crowns that we receive has an effect on our responsibilities that we'll have in heaven in eternity. The greater rewards, the greater capacity to enjoy eternity. Listen, crowds are not only for shepherds, but for everyone who was faithful to Jesus and who did what God had called them to do. And the bottom line is God has called each one of us to be faithful in whatever God has called you to do, whatever position, whatever job that God has given you to do, to be faithful in that job serving the Lord. Faithfulness is what he's looking for. So in that final day, Jesus is not going to ask, how big was your church? how many building projects you had. Rather, you'll look to see if you've been faithful to what He's called you to do. If you have, then you'll hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the words I want to hear. I don't want to hear, oh, not so bad though, good sometimes, and sometimes faithful servant. I don't want to hear, Tom, you made it. I had my doubts. I don't want to hear that, you know. I long for well done, thou good and faithful servant. I hope you do too. We're going to close here. We're going to enter into time of communion because this is where it all began. Jesus Christ giving His, life, giving His life upon a cross for us. Looking to Jesus, looking to what He has done for us. Now let me say this: as we enter into time of communion, communion is for believers. We pass out the bread. We hold it in our hands. We, we partake together as a church. We pass out the juice. We hold it in our hands. We partake of that together as well. But if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, surrendered your heart to Him, if you've never received that forgiveness of your sin, communion is not for you because you're remembering the work that God has done in your life. Remember what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. So if you're not a believer I, I, and you have, have no plans to be this morning, then I would say let the cup pass by you. Let the bread pass by you. Give it to the next person. And go on from there. But my prayer for you is that you come to faith in Christ this morning. You surrender your heart to Him. Give your life to Him. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. Take away the guilt and the shame. Commit your life to following Jesus Christ. And I tell you, if you do that, He'll save you. He'll save you from hell. hell. He'll give you eternity in heaven. And He'll give His Holy Spirit to lead and guide you upon this earth. And show you a great many things. How to live for Him. And the strength and the power uh, to do it. So we're going to enter into a time of communion. I want to give anyone here an opportunity to give their life to the Lord as, uh, as we enter in. So let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. That it has something to say to all of us. Lord, I thank You for this church. And Lord, for the... Uh, The men that you have raised up, the the fellow elders here in this church, the leaders in this church, you've you've raised up for us to, to come together and to seek your face and to pray and to lead this flock of people here in your church. Lord, we are accountable to you and we pray for wisdom. We pray for direction. We pray for our eyes to be open to the dangers that are out there, Lord, that we might warn this flock here of Calvary Chapel. Lord, give us that wisdom, Lord. As as pastors in our homes, as leaders where we where we live, where we work, Lord, help us to be that example to those around us of what it means to follow you, and to live for you. And finally, Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that is yet to give their hearts and life to you this morning, they've not surrendered their hearts to you, they've not asked for for the forgiveness of their sin. We pray that they would do so this morning, before we enter into, into this time of communion. Well, I had to. Her heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be saved today? You want to know if you were to die today you would go to heaven? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? If you've never given your life to the Lord and you want to do so this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Just raise up your hand. Father, thank you that we're all believers here. Lord, thank you that uh, Lord, that you sent your son to die for us upon the cross and rise again from the dead. Lord, as we focus our hearts now upon that moment, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that we need to confess, that we need to turn from, help us to do that this morning as well. As we examine our hearts and see where we're at with you. Lord, help us to to rejoice, Lord, and, and Lord, just have this time of thanksgiving as well, looking back what you've done for us. Bless this time of communion, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.